I have just tremendously enjoyed already this much of the week with you all. Um, seriously, when Michael had had asked if I would come, I'd never been to this Bible school before, and so when Michael asked if I would come, he had said that it's um, a lot of time it's a little older, it's an older group, and um, and when I come, I saw that there was also a number of younger ones, and um, I don't know, I've just been so, I've just been blessed by the uh, the maturity level that I've that I've sensed here, uh, and just the just the hunger for God, just to see the way that you you get off alone with God and just pray, just see what He's wanting to do. I, yeah, I'm just I'm loving it. I've really been blessed this afternoon. I want to talk about something that I'm excited about. Um, we're going to look at an account in Scripture um, in the Old Testament that we're going to draw some lessons from. And that is, uh, if you could turn to Isaiah chapter 58. And we're going to read, um, we're going to read verses. Thank you, Michael. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 right now. And I know I'm not, I don't have the gift that Paul does to be able to take something and, you know, like just pull all kind of theology out of it. My gift is more or less, what does this look like in practical life? And so um, that's what I want to do this afternoon. So let's read uh, Isaiah chapter 58. Uh, We'll read verses... um, one through, I guess it would be great if I would get to it. Read verses 1 through 7. Cry out loudly, don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. They seek me day after day and, de- and delight to know my ways like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, but you have not seen? This is them asking the question. We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fists. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose be like this, a day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head down like a reed and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and and a day acceptable to the Lord? And he says, isn't this the fast I have chosen? To break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to tear off every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood. You see what happens so often, and and this is, by the way, this is not our text. This is just kind of setting the the stage for where we want to go. But he's saying here is is that, uh, and by the way, to the smoker girls, I guess there's part of at least what we're hearing today, you... 
Um, I'd shared this, at least in part, this message uh, the first time in Bethesda, uh, Pennsylvania, a couple of weeks ago, and they were there. I didn't even realize they live here. So um, you're going to at least hear some of it again. Um, but so they're they're here and they're just they're doing all these things. They're fasting and they're saying, "Lord, we're doing these things, but why are you not hearing us? Why aren't you taking notice of the things that we're doing?" And you know, and then and then God just simply says, there in verse six, He says, "Isn't this what I've chosen?" And He starts naming things, and right away it went from things they were doing just disciplines they had and that type of thing to something that actually started making difference in people's lives. And, you know, when Jesus came, he preached Scripture. It always says that he preached the good news of the kingdom. And I love the way Paul brought that out. So there's, there's salvation. That's the door through which we enter. And there's also good news of the kingdom, what that looks like. What, and, so, uh, and so my prayer for you is simply this for this week. That you would know the difference between doing and being. God is not wanting you just to do something, just to set more, just to set more disciplines in place. Those are important. He's not just asking you to just do something. He's wanting you to be something. And so the fast that really matters, what God is really looking for is to go past the outer courts. He's looking for someone that is going to want to walk into the presence of God, to press into the Holy of Holies. I don't know if you've ever paid much attention to how the tabernacle was in the Old Testament, and and I don't know what everything represented. But what I do know is that you could come in through the gate and you bring your sacrifice, and everybody did that. And they brought their sacrifice. And, and that's just there in the outer court. We all can come to Bible school. We can come to church every week. We can go to Bible study. We can do all these things. But then there's some that says the outer courts is not good enough for me. Because guess what? The presence of God was not in the outer courts. And then you go into the holy place. And the farther you go, the further you went into the tabernacle, the closer you were getting to the, where the glory of God was, there was more, more required. And there was a labor where there had to be a cleansing and something that took place there. But you know, when it came time to actually go into the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could go there. And that place was so holy and so sacred that they would actually, when he would go into that place, they would have to have a rope or something tied around his leg just in case he did something wrong that they could pull him out because he'd be struck dead. That glory, that glory, that God, that presence is the presence of Jehovah. And yet today, we, through Christ, are a generation of priests, of kings and priests. And today God is saying, that veil was torn. And he's saying, I want you to come into that presence. But he's still just as holy. He's still just as righteous. He's still just as powerful. 
So you see, we can do some things in the outer courts, and that's great. We can do, we can set up more disciplines. We can do our daily Bible reading. We can get out and do ministry. But he wants more. He's looking for relationship. He's looking for a group of young people that will press through the crowd and say, I'm satisfied with nothing less than spending time in the presence of God. He's a jealous God. He will not share his glory with another. I want to just touch, uh, there's just a thought or two that, um, dif- that different of you have brought just through some of our conversation. Um, and so as we think of going into that presence, there was some discussion yesterday about repentance and what is from God, and, and just when your your conscience, you know, is just like, is this condemnation that the enemy is throwing at me, or is it God? One of the things I want to uh, say before we really get into the text here is in Romans 2, 4, it says it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. I used to always look at repentance as something negative because it hurt. But what I want you to get this week as God puts his finger on something in your life and says, it is time for this to go. I want us to realize it is his goodness that leads us to repentance. And so some time ago I was thinking about that and I was like, how can, I mean, it doesn't feel good. There's nothing about repentance that feels good. So how can it be his goodness that's leading me to repentance? But then I realized this, God, on Monday night, we talked about that plan and that purpose that he has for every one of you. And so when your conscience, when God through the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and says, hey, this needs to go, and he convicts us, it is simply him saying, there is something that is keeping you from living the abundant life. There is something that is keeping you from everything I have to offer, and I want you to have it. So here it is. It needs to go. This and my holiness do not mix. So it needs to go. It's because he wants what is best for you because he's a good father. So it's his, it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. Now, there's also times that we have already repented of something. And yet the devil, or we just keep rem- being reminded It keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. And we say, and this has come from people talking to me this week. Is there something more I need to do? I would say that depends. There are times there is more that needs to happen, more than just us and God. Sometimes there's things that needs to happen beside that. But what I I want you to get is that when... That conviction or when you are being reminded of sin, if it is pointing towards Jesus and it is pointing towards peace and it's pointing towards redemption, that's from God. If it is just telling you how awful you are and making you feel completely depressed and you know you've repented of it, you know you put it under the blood, and yet it's not pointing toward peace. It's a good time to start quoting Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When God 
wants, uh, when God puts something on your heart and he's wanting you to rid yourself of something, it is going to point towards Jesus. It is going to point toward the cross where it was already paid for. He wants us to come in alignment with it and surrender that so that we can receive the blessing that he really wants for us. We'll see there in Isaiah 58, God is just simply saying, look, I don't have any... I don't have any delight in just dead religion or just dead, uh, dead works. Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags in God's sight. So until the Spirit of God transforms us and breathes life into us, our good works are nothing more than just a dead, empty religion. But when the Spirit of God breathes life into us, we realize our efforts are vain, and nothing more than his power flowing through me is good enough anymore. His spirit will bring life. His spirit brings power. His spirit brings authority. It breathes life into a valley of dry bones like it did for Elijah. His spirit brings revelation. His spirit brings peace and joy. His spirit will transform, not just reform. And I like to think about it in this way. It's just a crude illustration, but... The difference between, in a practical way, between reforming and transforming is let's just say that you have, a, you have a house and you just have a lot of furniture in there that's just, it's just ruined. It's leather's all ripped up on it. It's just cats and dogs have been all over. It's just a bunch of messed up furniture. And you say, man, this, this does not look good. I'm embarrassed for anyone to come in my house. So you can take everything and you can change it all around. We're going to put the chair over here and the couch. We're going to move it. You can move stuff all around and completely change the look of it. Guess what it is? It's still tore up leather that has cat and dog pee all over it. Same thing. Transforming says, no, this isn't good enough. And we allow God to come in and we just take everything. We clean the house out. And we allow him to bring new in. Difference between reform and transformation. In Romans 12, 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So I just want to tell you that our gospel, your salvation, salvation is a door that we enter the kingdom. But when we get through the door, it only has begun. We, let's, let's go past the outer courts. Let's go past where everyone else is willing to stay. Let's go past where everyone else is hanging out. Why? Because the gospel of the kingdom is alive. And I just want to ask some questions here. Does the gospel, the salvation that you profess, impact more than your life? Gospel of the kingdom does. Does your gospel have shoes on? Meaning that, does it get out on the streets? Does it go to work with you? Does it have shoes on? Does your gospel change lives? Does, is your salvation in the gospel you profess everything to you? We're going to look at someone today that it did. Are others being reached by the gospel you profess? Are lives being changed and transformed? 
Are others being set free because of your salvation, because of your gospel? They were by Jesus. They were by the gospel of the kingdom. Do the unwanted know you love them? He says, is, this, is not this the, the, the fast I've chosen? Let the oppressed go free, break every yoke, deal thy bread to the hungry. So do the unwanted know you love them? Do you reach out and help the less fortunate? Do others want what they see in you? Or does it actually drive them away? Well, if that's, I've heard people say, if that's what believers are about, if that's what a Christian is, I want no part of it. And that is so sad. Let me ask you this. Do they know where to find what you have? We can sit here and make ourselves believe we have the real thing. Do others know where to find what you have? Does your gospel work with your occupation? And I know most of you probably don't have businesses yet. But I want to. Ju- but there's going to be a lot of you that will someday. And I want to tell you that if your salvation, if your gospel cannot go hand in hand with your occupation, it's the wrong occupation. Or else you don't have a right, the right gospel. The gospel has to go hand in hand with your with with your or your occupation go hand in hand with the gospel. Do not try to separate it. But that's not all. We'll take it a step further. May, may, probably not many of you business owners yet. Does it work with your hobbies, the movies you watch, the books you read? Does it work? with the friends you have, the relationships you have. All of a sudden, that is every one of us in this room. Does your gospel work Monday through Saturday? Or is it only something you experience on Sunday? I know there's many of you simply because I can see the Spirit of God in you that your gospel works Monday through Saturday as well. I know that. But I want us to be reminded, and if there's someone that is not walking in that, I just want to tell you it can be you. So we're going to look at someone now. um, Okay, well, so when this happens, when this is the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, when that is what we're after, then look at the promise in verse 8. So when we do that, when we, when we grab hold of that gospel that changes lives, that is everything that has the Spirit of God in it, breathing power into us. And then he says, Then shall your light break forth as a morning, and your health will spring forth speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then, shall, then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he'll say, Here I am. If you take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, and if you draw out your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall your light rise in obscurity, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and make fat your bones, and thou shalt be like a water garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. That's Isaiah 58. So now, um, you don't have to turn there because we're not going to take time to read it all. But I just want to go back now to another book in the Old Testament. 
that I love. And that's 1 Kings 18. And again, you don't, you don't have to go there. We're not going to read it. But it's the account. It's the account of Elijah and the prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel. And I love, I love this account. And I just want us to just somehow to kind of allow our minds to go back here. And let's just picture that we're there today. And that there has been a drought. There has been, there has been for the last, I think, a year and a half, if I remember right. Uh, was a year and a half half of the drought or the, somebody help me out. Sounds like a bird's up there flying around. Um, try, I should have went back and checked. I'm not sure if three years was where they were at now or if three years was the total. Anyway, but they had just been in a long season of, just, of no rain. Jezebel had the prophets of the, the prophets of the Lord all killed, except for Elijah. Wicked woman, we know, probably most of you know that account. But Elijah calls and he says, tells Ahab, I want you to meet me on Mount Carmel. And that's not all. It says that I want you to bring the, um, the 450 the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. And as they gather there, he says, Elijah just simply says, how long, he, how long halt ye between two opinions? And Paul actually talked about that, maybe not this exact account, but that same question was asked by David. Is there not a cause? Um, and Joshua also said the same thing. How long are you going to be trying to decide who you're going to serve? He said, but today, today, we're going to know who is, who is God today. And so as we go through this account a little bit and just kind of pick it apart, I want you to ask yourself, I want, I want you to ask the Lord, which side of this am I on? The question is also the title of this message, and it is simply, Is There Fire on Your Altar? All right, so now they, here they are. They have all these prophets up on the mountain. It's them and Elijah. And I don't know, I think he, he at least had a servant with him. doesn't say who all else was there. Later we'll see how it, it appeared as if there was some others there. I don't know who it would have been. But he tells them to build an altar. He said, today we're going to find out who is really God. We're going to find out where this, who really has the power. And so he tells them to build the altar, and they did. And they get all these stones, and they build up this altar. And they put wood on the fire, and they get the bullock, and they put it on. And so now it's time to call down fire from heaven on this sacrifice. And we know how that all went for them. You see, we would say, we would say that we would never do what they did. Like that was stupid. They're they're saying they're building this altar and and calling down fire from heaven. But that's not all they did. They were just praying out, crying out to Baal and Elijah at some point is just like your God is he sleeping and maybe he's 
on a journey. You know, I, I imagine that was kind of humorous to Elijah there. But as this was going on, it says that by the afternoon they were getting, they were jumping up on the, they were leaping on the altar and just crying out, and they were cutting themselves, blood coming out from their body onto the altar, which was actually a part of their, um, was actually a part of some of their rituals in some of their worship in their pagan worship. No fire. You see, there was plenty of action. There was plenty of discipline. There was no lack of doing on their part. Still no result. Still nothing happened. Sure wasn't a lack of ambition. Do you feel like that sometimes? Are there times that you feel like, I I feel like I tried just as hard as anyone else. I feel like, I mean, I go to church as much as anyone, you know, and you go to a whole list of things, of disciplines you may have, of doing. But why does God not move in my life like he does in someone else's? Do you wonder sometimes why your prayers are not being answered? Do you wonder sometimes why the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to you like he does to others? And you see others that just talk about having a revelation. And by the way, I just bless some of you. I mean, I had a couple of guys just right before church, uh, right before I came up, come back and just give me words that the Lord had given them. They were out while we were all just talking, and some of you playing spike ball and all that. And there was some guys out praying. And I just thank you for that. I don't even know who all it was. And I just bless you for that. I love that. But are there times that you, that you just feel like, well, why does the Holy Spirit not reveal stuff to me? Why is it that when I'm in a group of people, why is it that I go to Bible school and it just seems like so many others just have these crazy testimonies of what God is doing? And it's just never me. My guess is there's probably a lot of us that relate to that, that, that have felt that at some point or another. Then it was Elijah's turn. Now here's a man that knew what it is to walk with God. Here's a man that knew what it is to just be sold out to God. He knew. Elijah knew that it was not in what he did. He knew it was not in any discipline he did. He knew it was not in any action that he could take that fire was going to fall on that on that altar. Think about this. They're up on top of the mountain. He's going to use the same stones. He's going to use the same sticks. He's going to put a bullock on the altar just like they did. The doing was the same. But there was a difference. And that was the object of his worship. I love I have just absolutely, even though sometime when y'all are up here worshiping, I'm, I'll be back here praying and whatever, so I'm not always up here with you, but I just love to see young people worshiping. That is so special because I'm, I am fully convinced that if your worship is right, everything else will fall in place. Why? is when I say your worship is right, I don't mean just know how to sing the right kind of songs. 
or know whether you lift one hand or two hands or no hands or whether you should be kneeling or dancing. I don't mean that. I mean when the object of your worship is right and God has your full attention, it changes everything. So here's Elijah now. The object of his worship was Jehovah alone. And Elijah, and Eli, he may have not actually verbalized it, but he knew they had already, Jezebel, already had all the, prof, the other prophets killed. So he knew today, if God didn't come through by what he was doing, he was going to lose his life. He knew that. But you know what? It didn't matter. That's how much he wanted God to receive glory that day. It was going to be all or nothing. It was either going to be God will receive glory or my life is done. And I think he would have been perfectly okay if God, if, if his life would have been done. But he knew that God was going to bring, was going to be receive glory that day one way or the other. I want to ask you, are you and am I that committed to God, Are we that committed to the gospel that we profess, that we say, I will die for it? It, it? it has transformed my life to a point to where, God, however you receive glory to, today through my life and through my future, whatever that means, I don't care if it means leaving everything I've known. I don't care if it means going on the mission field. I don't care if it means having to leave this group of friends or this church I've known because you're calling me somewhere else and it's uncomfortable. I don't care if it's leaving a job that I've had and it's, and, and it's just not mixing or the, maybe the atmosphere is just not mixing with your gospel. I don't care what it is. When he's, are, are you so committed to that gospel, the gospel of Christ, that is, is just is being, life is being breathed in that by the Holy Spirit? That you say it's all or nothing. God, either you will receive glory or nothing. That's the kind of man I want to be. So what does he do? Same stones, same wood, same bullock, same mountain, same group of people around. And then he says... That's not good enough. Bring some water. And so they haul water and he dumps it on the altar. And he says, that's not enough. Bring some more and some more. And they just dump and they dump. What was he doing? I simply believe he was removing all chance, all chance of it being anything man-made. I think he was saying, you know what? There's going to be no option B for me. A lot of time I'm like, okay, Lord, I think you're saying this. And, all right, I'm going to do that. But now if that doesn't work out, I, I always kind of have a plan B. Elijah didn't. Water just dump on the altar. And I believe that just simply represented faith. God, it's going to be nothing of me. It's going to have to be you. And just dump the water. And he stands back and just says, Today, Lord, would you bring yourself glory? And fire falls from heaven. He didn't have to go through all the motions that the others did. He didn't have to jump on the altar and cut himself and spend hours doing it. Just a simple faith in God. God, it's you. Receive your glory now. 
and fire falls from heaven and it burns up the bullock and the wood and the stone. And then just because he's God, he just burns up water too. It's what faith looks like. He could have taken the safe route, but he cared more about God's glory than he cared about his own life. Do I have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of faith? Will you be the one in this group today, from this group of youth that have been here this week, will you be the one to step up and respond to God in faith like Elijah did? Will you be the one, in spite of your friends, in spite of the youth group that you're going to go back home to, in spite of your co-workers, and unfortunately, for possibly in spite of your family. Will you be the one that has his or her faith placed in Jehovah and that God would be pleased, this thing keeps moving on, that God would be pleased to show his power and glory through? You see, God looked down and he saw a man that was so committed to him. He saw a man that was so passionate about God receiving glory that he said, that is a man that I can show my glory through. So because of that, not only did God receive glory, not only did he come down, not only did fire fall from heaven and burn up everything there, you know the account. All of a sudden these 850 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of whatever they were that Jezebel was feeding. Elijah says, now it's time for the enemy to be killed. And I don't know, this is why I say it, it it seems it would have almost had to uh, been others there. um, Because it says, and Elijah said unto them, I know he had a servant there, but it says he said unto them, take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. Now, I can sure imagine Elijah probably sure didn't have 850 servants there. It only, I mean, I know Elijah was there and his servant and Ahab and then the, the prophets, 850 prophets. But he said, don't let one of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and he slew them there. So not only did God receive his glory, the enemy was defeated. Why? Because a man placing his faith in God. And as if that wasn't enough, what that did to him is it it sparked a faith. He said, God, you know, if you came through that way, which I, I think Elijah had full confidence that he would. He was like, you came through in that way. Not only do these people know now that you're the God, or they did before they, their heads were chopped off. The enemy was defeated. Elijah also remembered God's promise that he was going to give rain. And so he sends his servant. He says, hey, go, to the, go, go look out across the sea. His servant runs and he comes back. There's nothing. Are there times you feel like God has given you a promise and you've seen him move before, but there's just nothing there. And he says, go again. The servant runs back out again, comes back, nothing. Go again. Go again, seven times. And the seventh time he comes back and says, Hey, Elijah, I see, I see a cloud out there the size of a man's fist. I 
little, just a little sign, but he knew God's promise. And he grabbed a hold of that, and he told Ahab, you better get down the mountain because there is the sound of abundance of rain. But his faith was in this God that had just showed his power, just showed his glory, and showed who was really God. And he said, there's a sound of the abundance of rain. And so Elijah, I mean Ahab, he takes off, he gets in his chariot, and he's running down the mountain. And Elijah just on his feet just outruns him. Why? He was filled with the power of God. He was filled with faith. This was a man that was on fire because he had just seen the glory of God come through. God worked through him. Why? Because he was willing. He wasn't depending on the altar he could build. He wasn't depending on the wood he brought to the altar. He knew. In fact, he was just going to take all chances away for him to receive any glory. It was going to be God. I want to ask you, what are some of the promises that God has given to you? What are some of the promises that you need to grab a hold of today? What are some of the promises that you know are true, you know God has given, and you know he's faithful, but you're just having a hard time really believing them? What God is asking of you today is to take whatever for these last three or four days, whatever it's been that you just haven't quite known what to do with, quite how to process it, or or just not sure if I'm quite willing to go there, or quite willing to just be transparent about it, just not quite willing to open up yet. And God is saying, will you just put that on the altar, but then not just put it on the altar, let's just go ahead and just dump some more water and some more water, and some more water. Because that's when I'll come through. That's when I'll show, uh, show my glory. So what are those things that, what are those promises? And I just wrote some of them, just really not that many compared to all the promises in Scripture. But just some of them that God has given me today, I was just putting down here, and I hope that in these that it, you're going to grab hold of at least one and say, Lord, there's a part of me that has not been surrendered. I've been building my own altar. I've been using stones that I can produce. I've been putting wood on the altar that I can come up with. I've been putting a bullock on the altar that I bring, and that's kind of been the end of it with just a lot of action afterward to go along with it. And today, in spite of it being the same thing everyone else does, I want your spirit to breathe life into that action. I want your spirit to breathe life into me. I want your Holy Spirit to fill me and make so it's not doing. So you're not doing that you can actually start being. So here are just some of the promises. Before I go over that, I do want to say, though, just like in Isaiah 58, he says, this is what I've chosen, this is what I'll do, but the important thing was, is it has to be his way. 
He has to be, be the one. So if you're here this, this afternoon and you're living in sin, if you're here with an unsurrendered heart, these promises are not for you. Some of them are. I mean, his blood is available. His forgiveness is available. But only after we meet his conditions. It's on his terms. He will never leave you. Nothing can separate you from his love. He will make of a way he will make a way of escape from temptation. His grace is sufficient. His power has defeated the demons of Satan forever. He will fight for you. His mercies are new every day. His faithfulness is great. He will renew your strength. No weapon formed against you will prosper. That's a really good place to ask a question. Is the enemy's weapons that he's forming, that he's bringing against you, prospering right now? If they are, then we're not, we're not, our faith isn't the faith that Elijah had here. No weapon formed against you will prosper. He will forgive your sin, 1 John 1 9. He has plans for you that are good. He hears you. He'll satisfy your desires with good things. His joy is or can be your strength. He will pour His Spirit out on all flesh. He'll give you rest. His Spirit will guide you into all truth. He will work all things for your good and His glory. He'll keep you from falling. He'll present you faultless. He'll give you wisdom. He's your hiding place. With Him, all things are possible. And the list goes on and on and on of God's promises to His children. God's promises to those that are willing to just dump barrel after barrel of water on the altar when it makes no sense. Because after all, you're about to call, ask God to send fire down. So I just want to ask you, has the power of God breathed on you? Have you poured water on your altar? Have you surrendered to the point that people are pointed to God because of your life? Are you willing to die so that others would know God and that God would receive his glory? I don't know the answer to that. God does, and most of you here also know the answer to that about yourself. And so I'm not sure what is, I'm not even sure what's next. I'm not sure if it's, what's next, Michael, but whatever next chance you have to just go be alone, if there's something that, has, that you know you've been holding out on God, that you know that has just you just haven't quite come to that place of surrender and you sit here when when everyone is worshiping and and there's still just this thing that God just keeps bringing back and just says will you just give it to me because I, there's so much more for you and I want you to have it but first I have to have this
and you're just holding out because of whatever. I don't know that you do. If that's you, then would you like Elijah say, God, today, when you can go spend time alone in prayer, for you to simply say, God, I want you to receive all the glory from my life. And today, I'm putting an end to doing it on my own. I'm putting an end to doing it on my strength. I'm putting an end to my comfort. I'm putting an end to what I want for my life. I want you to receive all the glory from my life, even if it costs me everything I know. I want it to be your way. And so when next time you have a chance, just go get alone with God. I would just encourage you to pray. And, and, and the thing is, there's times that we, we think we're there. After a number of years of walking with the Lord, there's still times that God shows me things. And he just says, hey, you know, here's something else that I'd kind of like to have, another part of your heart. And I'm just like, you mean I haven't had this surrendered for that long? He's faithful. It's just, it's new dimensions. It's new spiritual dimensions that he wants to take us to. There's more about himself that he wants to reveal about himself in his time. And so when he's giving you that, that's why I say, what's it doing when when that conviction is hitting, when that thing is just heavy on your heart? Is it pointing towards redemption? Is it pointing towards more of God? Or is it something to just tear you down and make you feel shame and condemnation and guilt? Now, if it's, if it's choices that you're making to live in sin, then I want you to feel guilt and shame. In fact, I pray that you wouldn't have rest till you find peace with God and surrender that. But the questions that were coming was more or less, what about those times that I know I've repented of it, but I still just can't quite feel like just not sure if it's quite enough. That is time to use the word of God. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So Lord, bless you this afternoon. Um, yeah, I just hope that something that was said can be an encouragement. If one person this week can be touched, can, be, can make a difference in eternity for one of you, this week then for me it was worth coming up here for so I just hope that uh, you just get alone with God sometime and, and ask what he's saying God bless you all